Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Kyle Matthews, Chief Executive Officer for Phoenix Heart in Glendale, Arizona, and a member of the MGMA Board of Directors. Kyle led a great session at MGMA 16 called Improving Medical Practices with APPs, Scribes, and Medical Students. He's here with us today to talk a little bit more in depth about that presentation and how using non-physician providers, scribes, and other clinical staff can benefit your practice. Um, So first, if you could just tell me a little bit about sort of your background and your experience with using scribes, um, non-physician providers, etc. So um, I've used scribes in two different practices in two different ways. Um, When I first came to the other practice in 2008, the scribes were assigned to physicians, and I lobbied very hard to move those to practice um, employees and to not be um, under the physician overhead, to actually be part of the practice overhead. And that allowed us to do more things like heart flare clinics and things like that, and also kind of stop some of the whining about, no, I don't want to see that patient. They don't belong to my doctor, and kind of those types of things. So it really um, it worked well for that practice. The practice I'm with now is exactly the opposite. Um, they, the way that this practice runs and is set up, that would not be okay. Um, they are only a few doctors have um, nurse practitioners. Only a few of them are responsible for them, and it's the only way it would work. So I've I've had success in both environments. As far as scribes, um, kind of the same thing. Um, at my old practice, I actually home grew scribes. I hired them from our um, internal staff, and they were our employees. And at this new practice, I did exactly the opposite. Um, I actually use a service that puts a scribe here for us. Their employee, we just pay them um, directly. Interesting. In both situations with the scribe, um, I am more than happy. I mean, it just you know, like I kind of said, the presentation at the other old practice, putting it with the busiest physician was the only way to add more patient slots to that physician. There was absolutely no way we could get him more efficient. And so the scribe is kind of what made that happen. It's interesting that you've sort of used um, scribes and NPPs in so many different ways um, in these different practices. Um, I want to start with scribes. Um, what are the benefits for um, using scribes? You mentioned um, seeing more patients, and maybe what are the benefits of having them on staff versus the outside agency? Sure. So the um, kind of going in order. So uh, one benefit is the scribe that we have at my current practice is Spanish speaking, and the physician is not. And so the scribe in the company allows that person to actually serve as a translator as well at times. So that um, greatly. Um, helps us out because we don't have to pull a medical assistant from the back office. Now, this particular scribe is costly, and because we go through an outside company, so it is more expensive. However, they only work the hours a physician works. So if the physician is out of clinic that week on vacation, then we don't use them. If the physician is adding clinic and is working 40 hours in clinic, then they provide the person for 40 hours. So um, I'm not sure. Of course, I have no idea what arrangement the company has with the scribe. I don't know how much she makes, what they do, whatever. But we only pay when we need that person. Mm-hmm. The now so that that and that kind of works for us because um, only one or two physicians use them, and works their flow. Now, when they were my employee, it was exactly the opposite. 
I didn't want to pay them 40 hours a week to do nothing if the patient, I'm sorry, the physician were, were not seeing patients that week. So we actually had them cross-trained as a medical assistant. So if they weren't running the physician, they were actually running nurse practitioners or doing a refill desktop or doing something else to help us keep caught up, um, returning phone calls, running triage, whatever. And so they still would always get 40 hours per week, guaranteed. However, they were always doing something. So totally different setup. You manage them totally different. Both um, are exceptional. The, the output is exactly the same. It's just kind of how you treat the employee. Interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in this um, cross-training of MAs as scribes, vice versa. Um, do you feel like that's a, a better use of, uh, you know, or a better way to, to do that if you're, if you're training them within the practice? I do, because I think that um, the more they interact with, first of all, you don't want somebody getting burnt out on one particular job function. I always believe that. So anytime that I can cross train and kind of move employees around, that's why I do not have one. I do not have a triage medical assistant. Instead, I rotate the medical assistants through that position to kind of give everybody um, a feel for how that happens. It doesn't always work. There's some doctors who say, no, no, my medical assistant cannot work triage. I'm in clinic five days a week, but I always try to rotate them. And the same with the scribes. So they're getting experience. And you got to keep in mind that a lot of scribes typically their lifespan is 12 to 18 months because they want to go to you know they want to be an RN they want to be a nurse practitioner a physician assistant they want to go to medical school stuff like that and NP and PA schools are so competitive that having a scribe on the resume for a busy practice it really does put them ahead of their peers so that's the exact situation I had in my old practice this individual is going to be leaving in a few months to be going to PA school because that's just what they decided they wanted to do and was able to get in easily because of the great recommendations from the physicians. So also, you know, that person can now say that, hey, not only did I work, you know, in um, the room just dictating, but I also, you know, I've, I've worked refills, I've worked triage, I've roomed patients, I've, I've done everything. I've done the whole gamut, and that allows them to learn a lot, and I think it's very fulfilling for them, and they enjoy it. I've never had um, a scribe to say, no, no, I don't want to do that. And a lot of times, if you are going to do homegrown scribes, a lot of them are medical assistants who now want to move up. And so they usually don't have an issue of going back and doing a little bit of MA work on the side. And then one of the other questions I have for you regarding scribes in particular is, are there situations where a scribe is not maybe the best um, idea? Or how do you determine whether a scribe is really going to be um, a benefit for the physician yeah. for the practice. And, you know, I always say that. Everybody says, well, scribes are so great. Why doesn't everybody use them? And the answer is because a lot of people can't use them. Um, I think I mentioned in the presentation that I had an electrophysiologist who was so busy, so busy, he kept saying, I want a scribe, I want a scribe. And I would say, we've been down this road before. So what we did is instead of having the scribe work with an MA, as an MA one day, we would then put them with that EP doctor. And it never failed. Every single time that we did that for like a, a one-day stretch, as soon as I asked, when click was over, as soon as I said, how did it go? Well, not good because, you know, there's lots of terms that I use. There's lots of, you know, very complicated things. And I end up going back and correcting a lot of things or, you know, having to answer a lot of questions. It really didn't speed me up. And it's because with some subspecialties, it's just going to be very difficult for a scribe to get up to that level of knowledge. Now, you could make the argument, well, yeah, if they spend um, one or two months with that provider, they'd probably pick it up and get it. And I agree with that. Unfortunately, when you're dealing with subspecialty, a lot of times they don't they don't see the worth of doing it. They don't want to invest that time. So I don't think that works. There's a lot of doctors who, um, to be honest, they 
they can't let go. Um, I had another doctor who always said, I want a scribe, I want a scribe. Every single time the scribe would go in the room, he would ask the scribe to move so he could get on the computer himself. And I kept trying to explain, no, no, when you have a scribe, you don't touch the computer. You never touch the computer in the room. You sit face-to-face with the patient. You give you know, eye contact with the patient and converse with the patient, and the scribe is dictating what you're saying. You never get on the computer. And some of them just can't let go of it. They have to actually physically see the, the previous note, which they should be doing for the walk in the room. But they have to either look at it right then, or they want to see the echo up close, or you know some other test results, and it just doesn't work in their flow. They mm-hmm. just can't do it. Another instance is there's some doctors who it just doesn't speed them up. I mean, I have a lot of doctors who say, yeah, I'd love to have a scribe, so I wouldn't have to dictate at night. And I say, okay, how many patients are you going to add? And they say, well, none. I'm already seeing as many as I want to. And I say, well, then you don't get a scribe. The only reason that it makes financial sense to a practice, you know, we're already under immense reimbursement pressure. You cannot add expense without balancing it with revenue. And my rule of thumb is I want to make I want to I want the revenue to be three times the expense of the scribe. I want to make it up times two. Because that is the only way it really makes sense for the practice to carry an additional employee, carry the additional liability, um, do the training, all that stuff is if it really is bringing more reimbursement to the practice. There's some that, you know, they try it, they can't speed up. They still take the same amount of time in the rooms, and we say, we're sorry, that's not what this is for. It's not just to make your life easier. Mm-hmm. Now, if they are completely, now like at this practice where they're non-shared expenses, meaning the partner themselves pay out of pocket for the scribe, I could care less. It doesn't matter to me what they do <laughs> because it's not a practice expense. Right. I can tell them, hey, this isn't a really good idea. You're really paying for something that's not really benefiting you, but they say, hey, I have young kids. I want to go home and not have to dictate. Okay. Then it's worth them paying four, six, eight thousand dollars, whatever it is, a month out of their pocket um, to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to stop it. It's interesting, I think, um, to hear sort of the pros and cons um, for scribes. I would like to move over to uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants um, and sort of, again, weighing sort of the pros and cons there um, for incorporating them into your practice. Well, ideally, um, I prefer them to be practice employees that are complementary to the physicians, work side-by-side with physicians, and have their own clinics. And, um, you know, to be able to, the the clinic is adjacent alongside, if you will, the physician where if they're talking to a patient and they need to pull the physician to say, hey, can you come talk to this patient real quick or I have a question that can happen? Would you like them to be running without a physician around? I never let NPs see new patients. Because um, I don't think it's appropriate in a specialty setting. In a PCP office, okay, but in a specialty setting, no. Um, I personally don't believe in that. There's also the 15% reimbursement cut, which <laughs> nobody wants to take. So, I mean, I, I prefer it that way. That way, if um, you know any physician's patient walks in um, and they need to be seen as a walk-in, they can be thrown onto a schedule, and you know it's it's whoever's available. That way you don't get to that, no, no, I only work for this doctor. I'm not seeing anybody else's patients. I don't like that attitude. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's kind of what they get pigeonholed into every once in a while. So um, I do prefer it to be independent um, as far as have their own schedule because I find a lot of nurse practitioners, if they're going, I know the new methodology is the nurse practitioner goes in the room, kind of cues up the chart, gets everything ready, then the doctor comes and says hello and walks out. A, I don't like that from an ethical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, B, there's a billing issue maybe there, like did the doctor really see the patient? Mm-hmm. And C, I don't think it's a good use of time. You're using them pretty much as glorified nurses or advanced medical assistants. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can find a, a truly knowledgeable NPPA, which you should be able to with all the great schools today, I, I think that they should be able to see the patient on their own um, and to do that. And I think that um, nurse practitioners and physician assistants are becoming more widely see, uh, used in uh, primary care, especially. Um, um, but I'm, I'm really curious about your experience with specialty practice and how, what are some of the things that um, really work well with using NPPs in, in a specialty scenario? Well, I think a lot of times, um, specifically, a lot of the patients in a specialty office are coming back for follow-up. So they've already been put on a medication plan, uh, especially, well, two different things. Let's stick with that. Medication plan, they already have a plan of care. And so they're just really doing maintenance, reviewing the lab results, making sure that the doctor's plan is still happening. And if it's not, to go talk to the doctor and say, hey, this medication's not working, the patient's not feeling better, what should we do? And either the doctor pops in or makes a separate appointment, which I prefer the doctor to give right then. The second thing is that um, as we move into trying to, for a lot especially whether you're oncology, um, orthopedic, cardiology, a lot of these specialties which have a tremendous focus on reducing readmissions and getting patients out of the hospital as soon as possible, those situations where the physician discharges, they can discharge to a nurse practitioner in the office. And then it's, you know, sometimes doctors are two, three, four weeks scheduled out. NP, however, can see the patient within 48 hours of discharge. Mm-hmm. And when you capture that patient that quickly, Go over the care plan, again, just like the doctor did when they were discharging. Go over the medications, making sure that the patient actually got the medication. Mm-hmm. A big thing that I see in heart failure especially, which is so critical, the patient was giving a medication. Um, they go to the pharmacy up on discharge uh, because maybe the hospital didn't have the medication or the hospital doesn't have a pharmacy, and they say, oh, my gosh, I have this huge copay. This is a specialty branded medication. I'm not filling it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you wait two weeks to see that patient in the hospital, or I'm sorry, in the office, they're either going to get readmitted or they're going to come to you in bad shape. When you see the patient in 48 hours, even if it's a nurse practitioner, a nurse practitioner can look at the medication. They can say, oh, well, why don't you try this one instead? Or say, look, you need to be on this specialty branded medication for this reason. And you capture that um, issue and kind of resolve it in a very quick manner. And so I think that for those types of issues, having the NPs on staff are extremely important. Yeah, that's great. Um, another thing that you talked about in your um, uh, presentation that I think um, would be really interesting to go into a little bit is um, is medical students um, coming in and um, into a practice. And, you know, what has been your experience with that and how do you make that the best ex- possible outcome for your practice? Yeah, and, and sometimes I think that we have to kind of separate financial gains from just what is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And with medical students ex- especially, it's very hard to gain uh, a big financial benefit. It really is. You're slowing down the doctor at first. I think I may comment that, you know, they should speed you up. Otherwise, you, there's a bad situation going on. But mm-hmm. at first, they're going to slow you down because you have to get to know you and things like that. Then they should be helping to queue up the patients like a nurse practitioner can and really help you speed through the process. And but but more than that, I think it's the way to give back. I mean, I think it's a way that physicians get um, uh, involved with their local medical schools, local universities, and to really you know kind of propel um, 
the advancement of of, me- of medicine in the community. And I, I've seen that a lot. I mean, I've had actually had a really good friend who was doing a rotation through DO school, and I said, hey, I have one of the best teaching cardiologists in the Valley. Make sure that you sign up with him. And I said it at a party in passing, didn't even really think about it. I walked in one day, and boom, there he was. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, he didn't tell me. He goes, well, I trusted you. And and I asked him how it went when it was done. He said it was really tough. He had a lot of demands on me. He said, but I have learned more from that doctor because he says when the patient's roomed, go in there, you you act like you're the doctor. You take the note. You give a recommendation or write down a recommendation. Come to me. Give it to me. I'll tell you what's right, what's wrong. We go back in together, and we actually talk to the patient. And I think it allows the physician both to advance their knowledge, um, to impart their knowledge onto others, and again, I've had doctors run with two medical students at a time. And when you do that, you always have a medical student kind of going through the med list, going through the problems, with getting kind of the background story of the patient, and the doctor can actually move faster. Mm-hmm. The only downside of that is that that same doctor also has a scribe. So there are times where there's four people in the exam room. <laughs> that gets a little crowded. Yeah. Um, However, you know, it's just it's kind of like, hey, if it gets too crowded, somebody steps out. Or, um, but you know, patients are like, wow. I mean, when you're when you're a patient in a specialty office, a lot of times the reputation now is doctor walks in, says hello, shakes your hand, keep taking your medication, I'll see you in six months, and walks out. Having four people in the room focused on you is a big change from that, and you really do feel like you have a team of experts kind of looking after your care, and that things will not get missed. So I've actually had patient satisfaction to go up from that, and not, which surprised me, just because there are, you know, because if you think about it, you check in, you have a medical assistant kind of talking to you, asking how your day is going, then you have the medical student coming in and doing the same thing, and then you have the doctor coming in, kind of going over everything, and talking to you as well. You really feel like you get a lot of attention, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, in today's environment of medicine, quite the opposite is true, and it's truly a tragedy. So I think that's it is a way to kind of make your patients feel a little bit more um, more important that you're focusing more on their care. Yeah, that's great. So do you have any um, tips or um, suggestions um, for things that people need to look out for if they're considering adding uh, scribes or you know incorporating some of these other um, NPPs or other uh, staff into their practice? I think with everything, you really have to make sure that there is tremendous buy-in. And I think that's an obvious answer. At the same time, I think a lot of people, because I have heard people say, hey, get me a scribe. I mean, fish said, I want a scribe tomorrow. And it's like, okay, why? And they give you the reasons, and they're either not legitimate, or you say, okay, I don't think you're thinking this through. And you need to be able to kind of trial it. You don't ever want to go out and hire a team of – because I've, I've talked to companies, either at MGMA, um state or annual conferences who are in the exhibitor hall who says, how many doctors do you have? Okay, you need six scribes. We, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring in six scribes. We're going to change everything. And it's like, wait a minute. That's a huge disruption to go from zero to six people in your office dictating. Mm-hmm. You really have to slowly incorporate that in. If you can trial it, that's great. If you can borrow somebody, that's great. And for us, because we were homegrown, we really just said, hey, let's take this individual, see how it works, and... We kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm. For NPs, it's a lot more complicated. You're talking a lot more salary, contract negotiations, everything. And I think that you really you need a proof of concept. You need a physician who's either worked with NPs before, or you need to find a way to slowly incorporate them in, um, like maybe a, 
uh, walk-in triage individual or something and then kind of slowly ramp up the process. I never think it's a good idea to go out and hire somebody for you know $100,000 and say, boom, you're my NP, do it. Um, mm-hmm. That's it's just not – got to be careful of those types of things. I think doctors sometimes forget, even though the NP is practicing, they're practicing in their name, a lot of times billing under their name with Incident 2. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very important that – you and your nurse practitioner or PA have an agreement of what you're going to do and what they're going to do and how your XR are going to work together as a team. Yeah. And I think you only do that by the first two to three weeks. You go into every patient room together, and you, the NP sees how the doctor responds, and then slowly the doctor stops talking with the NP, start talking, and make sure that they can kind of mentally sign off, yeah, they're ready. They 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 have my process down. They know what I focus on. They know what I want the patients to know. They... They know and answers the answers to most of the patient questions, those types of things. Yeah, great. Well, I think we've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that you would like to add, or things that you think we didn't we haven't discussed yet that you want to mention? You know, I just think that it's you know every time I kind of talk about you know how medicine's moving, where we're going, how to be most efficient. I think about both as a patient and as administrator. And as a patient, I don't want to see an NP. I want to see a doctor. Um, I get very upset when I, you know, I've left PCP offices because I visited there four or five times and I never, ever saw the doctor. I get very upset about that. So I think that you have to kind of take that step back and you have to look at it and say, are my patients going to be happy with the way that I am conducting business? That's with a scribe. That's with an NP. That's with a medical student. I think I mentioned in the presentation, you know, medical students have to rotate through every single specialty. And if you are an OB or especially pediatrics, things like that, there needs to be a conversation with the patient. Are you comfortable with the medical student, you know, doing an exam on your child? You never want the patient, you never want the um, the parent to feel like they were pressured into something and, and leave feeling very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I have had patients to say, you know, especially, you know, a female patient say to uh, so some medical students who like they're, you know, just out of high school because they do kind of look young, to say, no, you're not examining me. I'm not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And you need to have a conversation, whether it be MAs, um, medical school, whatever, to, to, to respectfully say, that's totally okay. And to come out and just tell the doctor that and have the doctor to make sure they don't react negatively, that they understand it too. And also I think that you have to be very careful to with the nurse practitioners say they are partners in care. They should never lead the care. That's what Institute Billing says, and a lot of people don't pay attention to it, and I think that that rule is there for a reason. If if a new problem comes up um, that was not on the chart before, technically they're supposed to talk to the doctor about that. And I think, you know, if I want to see an NP, I go to Walgreens. But for me, if I want to see an NP, I'm going to go on my phone to the Walgreens app, book a time to go into their whatever their little care clinic. I'm going to see their NP, get medication, and leave. If I go to a doctor's office, I want to see a doctor. And so a lot of people feel that way, and so you have to make sure that when you incorporate NPs, you're doing it in a way where the patient still feels that they are being taken care of by the doctor, and that the NP is an extension of that physician, not that they are taking over the care and making the decisions. Easier said than done, I know. <laughs> Just there, there are ways to do that, and I think a lot of people are failing at it, and I you know, I'm technically a millennial, and I see a lot of people who say, look, if I want to pay this amount of money because I have an HSA plan or whatever, I want to see a doctor. 
So we have to be very careful how we incorporate the nurse practitioners into the clinic setting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. To learn more about Kyle's session at MGMA Annual Conference, and for more information on better utilizing clinical staff, check out our episode page at mgma.org slash podcasts. <laughs>